Hey, it's Gory Corey. I'm currently working on a new horror anthology called Welcome Week with Screenager Productions, the minds behind Satan's Servant. We're making a film about the horrors of college, and we're bringing together college-age film students from all over the world to work on it. We're currently fundraising on Indiegogo and would really appreciate your support. Whether it's sharing or donating, anything helps. Thank you so much, and if you'd like to learn more, you can find us on Indiegogo at Welcome Week, or you can visit my blog, GoryCory.com. Thanks. Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Lindsay. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. And we are here to talk about The Sandlot, starring... Tom Guyrie, Mike Vitar, Patrick Renna, Chauncey Leopardi, Marty York, Brandon Quinton Adams, Grant Gelt, Shane Obedzinski, Victor Dimitia, Dennis Leary, Karen Allen, Marley Shelton, and appearances by James Earl Jones and Art LaFleur. Directed by David Mickey Evans and released in 1993 on a $7 million budget, it grossed $34 million at the box office and is considered a cult classic. So, Jay, let's start with you. I am super excited to hear about your background with this movie. Yeah, because it's only about three days old um, at this point. Uh, as has come up often on the background conversations of this show and uh, through various text threads uh, through the years, there's always a good joke when you can find something I haven't seen. Um, but your best bet is a broad comedy um, that's not a classic thing or a coming of age story that was released when I was in high school through when I was in college, because I just missed them all. This movie came out when I was, I don't know, a freshman, sophomore in high school. And I mean, I'll hear about y'all's background with baseball and stuff, but mine, I didn't grow up playing baseball. It, it wasn't the sport I gravitated to as a kid. I didn't have a lot of kids in my neighborhood. So like, the pickup game thing never happened. I didn't really play like softball while I was in college, you know, with friends and stuff. So my love of baseball is only built off of like Ken Burns documentaries. And the fact that I can claim to have been a Yankees fan before they were any good, uh, which was pre Derek Jeter. And uh, then I was there when he came along and, you know, saved the franchise for 20 years. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I'd never seen this before, but I felt like I knew it because I knew the memes, right. As the, you're killing me smalls. And you know, I'd seen that forever. And, a good Google search will teach you a lot of things. And so I'd figured, you know, learned that. And I thought, okay, well, I, you know, I read like a synopsis of it once. I said, that ah, sounds cute. You know, maybe one day when the nephews are into baseball, we'll do that. They play flag football and soccer. They don't play baseball. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I just kind of missed it. And it was, it was one of those that uh, as we were talking about different stuff and we were looking for movies to do here, you know, toward the, the midst of the summer. And it's, you know, we're right at the all-star break as we're recording this and the turn of the season and everything. Um, you brought it up and we're like, how, how have you never seen the Sandlot? I think that was the indignation in your voice. And I was like, well, <laughs> that'll be a fun story to tell. So, but yeah, I missed this one. So this was, this was new to me and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it as we, as we go through tonight, but I had never seen it before until I watched it for this review. I also did not grow up a baseball kid, but I have seen the Sandlot. It was a fixture on premium cable channels. So I've seen it 
half a dozen to a dozen times just because it would be on at five o'clock or six o'clock or whenever I would be home looking for something to watch on TV um, or waiting for something else to come on later um, that had more blood and guts content. But I'd be like, okay, I'll watch the Sandlot. Um, (laughs) Fairly sure it was one of the VHS tapes that we had in the RV that my parents and my uncle uh, and aunt owned together for road trips and such. Uh, this one and Black Sheep were two of the more common uh, VHS tapes to be in the camper. So, uh, yes, I've seen this quite a bit, even though I was not a baseball kid and uh, only really enjoy baseball in terms of uh, video games at this point in my life. I've seen this movie no less, no less than 150 times in my life. Probably more. <laughs> wow. If I'm being perfectly honest, mm-hmm. um, there was a period where my my best friend at the time and I, and we're still actually really good friends. Um, we live close to each other. But whenever we had a sleepover, which was every weekend, we would watch this movie, rewind it, and watch it again and rewind it and watch it again until we fell asleep. Like we would watch it multiple times in one night. And the main reason I think was probably Benny, the jet Rodriguez teen heartthrob that he was. (laughs) I was going to ask, (laughs) (laughs) but we, but we loved it. And I had younger brothers and they loved it because it was just, um, just a fun, a fun movie. The, I poor Brian, my Brian had he loves the movie too. And he had to watch it with me, which he was super excited about. But I learned that I cannot control myself quoting the movie as it's going. (laughs) (laughs) And I could I could feel his irritation. Oh, that's funny. So I tried, I tried to mute it a little bit, but I just, I couldn't help myself. There are too many great quotable moments in the movie, but yeah. big fan. I've been a big fan of it since it came out in 93. Um, and I've been watching it at least a few times a year now ever since. So I, I think when I go to like my go-to baseball movies, cause I, I will be in a sports fan. Like I'll try to watch a movie when it's the dawn of a season for something. Like I, I always try to watch blue chips sometime around the kickoff <laughs> of college basketball season, because that movie was right. And, and I usually watch something <laughs> like the program or necessary roughness or whatever, when it's, um, uh, college football season. And then for years I would watch any given Sunday um, as my NFL go-to movie um, instead of you know, some of the many others, but thank goodness Kevin Costner made draft day. And so I can now not sit through three <laughs> hours of, of uh, Oliver Stone insanity and uh, can just replace it with, you know, something that's a little more palatable. Um, and uh, so, but baseball movies like my go-to is, you know, it's either something like the natural, which was a book I read growing up and I saw that and I love that movie and, and I love Redford in it. Um, I think it's about more than baseball, but it's about like a period of baseball that doesn't exist anymore. So I kind of enjoy that romantic part of it again, or something like major league, which is just never not quotable and fun, you know, like that. I think yeah. about that. So I, I think for like, I, I having an older brother who was a baseball player and did like all this stuff. He didn't watch the same, like by this point he was in college, but he had seen major league. So he showed me that. I think I went to a theater and saw that with him. So I, I kind of, I don't know, I always sort of skewed more toward that kind of stuff. But um, 
having seen this now though i get it like y'all I, Lindsay, i totally get your fandom for it <laughs> because i i'm sitting here watching this going like they don't make these anymore like i feel bad for gen z i don't think they have this kind of entertainment i'm sorry y'all you don't like nobody makes anything that's this just like sweet and wholesome and you know it, it doesn't have any other agenda other than just to tell a very simple story about friendship and um i don't know i i was really sort of taken away by it i think i texted both of you like which one of you didn't tell me i needed kleenex for this because <laughs> and then i got accused of being a big softy which true i will you know own that but uh, yeah i'm not gonna lie I, did, I choked up a little bit in some of this it was it was a lot sweeter uh, version of dennis leary than i knew existed Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll get to that, too. I have some thoughts on Dennis Leary playing the dad or stepdad. but That really caught me by surprise because I had completely forgotten that. It's been like a decade since I've watched this movie or more. And, and I mean, man, and this is prime chain smoking, curse every other mm-hmm. word, Dennis Leary, too. So talk about stepping out of character. Yeah, I can't wait yeah. for him to start singing it about this kid being an asshole, but it never happened. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Also, James Earl Jones. You didn't tell me James Earl Jones was going to be in this, man. So I want you to go in it fresh. I know. Surprises. You know, again, though, like Field of Dreams. Like I immediately go there. You know, with Mm -hmm. with him, and again, another Costner uh, movie. Yeah, he's had a lot of baseball movies. I think a lot of sports movies, really. But I didn't know that going in. But it's it's neat to see a movie that has a big name cast like this and when they were they're really the side part it's really these kids who i don't think any of them have ever done anything else like i don't know any of these people you've written off that list of names i'm like first off you got through all of it in one shot to pronounce them and i don't know who any of these people are <laughs> well uh, a lot of them i guess i shouldn't say a lot of them um the uh the actor who played smalls he um tom guyrie he has been in he was in quite a few things. I don't think he's been in anything really since 2003. The rest of them, Benny, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, Mike Vitar, he was in a lot of of movies like this. I think he was in D2 and D3 um, and a handful of other 90s kids movies. And same with Ham. Um he was in a few others. The Big Green was one of them. I think he was in Little Giants. So again, kids sports movies in the 90s. Little Giants. Now, I have seen that one uh, because I will watch anything Rick Moranis does ever because he's just oh a gosh, joy. He's so and funny. The fact that the girl who played the icebox in that, by the way, grew up <laughs> to be this smoke show in like Poison Ivy 5 or whatever. And yes, I've seen that. Um, I was like, oh, I, I was not expecting that to be you know something I had encountered. But yay, here I am. So yeah. You know, I, yeah. You know what, Jay? I think me and you are the only two people who've seen Poison Ivy 4. <laughs> Probably uh, so. I, I did see that movie with uh, Shauna, Wal- Shauna Waldron. Yeah, Shauna name? Waldron. Yeah, that's her name. Yeah. Or Shauna so. McDonald, something like that. But the other yeah. girl in that in Poison Ivy 4 is also a child actress who... What, was she on like Degrassi or something like that? Yes. One of those? Degr- oh, yeah. yeah, she was a Degrassi and one was Becky Icebox O'Shea. There we go. Yes. Oh, that's... Uh, I, I I also feel the future film strip coming on as we talk about <laughs> you know, this. But I, like, uh, I have not seen that, so you can add that to one of my first timer lists. One of my uh, one of my first actually paid to write about it uh, reviews, and one of the first screeners I actually got was for Poison Ivy Four, which gosh. I should have saved that for the inevitable Poison Ivy Four show. <laughs> yeah, but you know whatever. 
I mean, we'll get there. You know, so, yeah. I, I do think it's neat though that this is something, and, I, and I'm curious, Lindsay, if, if you get through the plot summary of thing is to hear specifically for you what has kept you coming back to this through the years because that's the the danger of like childhood favorite stuff. I have found, particularly the older I've gotten, is I'm very picky about do I want to go back down that road? Do I want to ruin this for myself? Because so many times that has happened. I'm like, oh, that's not nearly as fun as I once thought. Or then I want, or something like Secret of Nim, and I'm just sitting there in a puddle going, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing piece of animation ever. And why don't, why don't more people herald this, you know? So it's one or the other usually though. It's rarely in between. Yeah. I have not gone back to secret of the NIM though. I've considered it many times. I, um, I strongly recommend it. So and maybe another future <laughs> episode, probably a more wholesome one too, but uh, yeah. yeah so. Well, maybe, but no, I've come back to the sandlot as I said, a number of times and it has not lost its luster for me. Not one bit. So well, I'll just get into it. Let's let's hit this plot summary and then we can start getting into details. So the movie starts in the summer of 1962 when a shy, nerdy, some might even say square, Scotty Smalls moves to an L.A. suburb. Strongly encouraged by his mother to make friends and get into trouble for crying out loud, Smalls tries to join a group of boys who play baseball daily in a local sandlot. An interesting choice, considering he has zero athletic experience or ability, which ultimately results in embarrassment, but with resolve, he attempts to learn to play catch with his stepfather, Bill, which results in not much more than a black eye. Luckily, he's still invited to join the team by their leader and best player, and as I mentioned earlier, teen heartthrob, Benny Rodriguez, who teaches him the basic skills needed to play the game, despite the protests of all of the other boys on the team. Now, when the catcher Hamilton Ham Porter hits a home run over the fence of the property next door, Smalls attempts to retrieve the ball, but is frantically stopped by the other boys who inform him of the legend of the beast, a kid-eating giant gorilla dog thing. This is followed by a series of scenes just packed with nostalgia and summer days, including the pool day, which results in squints, drowning just to make out with Mega Crush lifeguard Wendy Peppercorn during Mouth to Mouth, making Squints a legend, but also getting him banned from the pool for life, the iconic 4th of July night game by the light of the fireworks, the game against a local Little League team, which is not even a challenge for the scrappy Sandlot crew, but which does tout some of the best insults ever thrown into a single movie scene, the celebration fair where they try chaw and then puke all over themselves and everyone else on the carnival ride to the tune of tequila. Now, all of this leads up to... The Omen, when Benny busts the guts out of the team's only baseball. An amazing feat, which any normal person would be in awe of. Instead, Benny is just pissed that they can't play no more. Smalls volunteers a ball that he has at home, and with Bill away on business, he borrows the ball from his trophy room, which happens to be autographed by the man, the myth, the legend, Babe Ruth. Ignorant of baseball history, Smalls has no concept of the value of this particular baseball, and to his great surprise and great misfortune, hits his first home run, sending the ball into the beast's yard. When the other boys learn of the autograph, they freak out, and Smalls discovers that Babe Ruth and the Great Bambino are the same guy. After several failed but hilarious attempts to get the ball out of the yard, using makeshift retrieval devices, all destroyed by the beast, 
Benny decides to get the ball himself after the spirit of Babe Ruth visits him in a dream, prompting, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. The next day, Benny breaks out a brand new pair of PF Flyers, goes over the fence, and pickles the beast to get the ball. But before the celebration can get under underway, the dog breaks its chain and leaps over the fence in pursuit, chasing Benny through town and eventually ending back at the sandlot. Benny jumps back into Mr. Myrtle's yard, but the beast crashes through the fence, which falls down on top of it. Smalls and Benny lift the fence to free the dog, who shows gratitude by licking Smalls's face and leading them to its stash of baseballs. They meet Mr. Myrtle, who turns out to have been a baseball player and a good friend of Babe Ruth. He trades them the chewed-up ball for one that was autographed by the entire 1927 New York Yankees team, Murderer's Row, under the condition that they visit every week to talk baseball with them. Smalls gives this ball to Bill, though he still gets grounded for a week for stealing the original ball, and the boys continue to play baseball on the sandlot with the beast, Hercules, as their mascot. We get a nice synopsis of how the boys grew up and mostly went their separate ways, mostly, as the movie ends with the celebrating Rodriguez after a big win on the Dodgers ball field and Smalls in the press box giving each other the same thumbs up sign that they had used since childhood. Okay, so can we talk about how this movie has the same similar structure as A Christmas Story? Thank you. I was just sure. about to say that. <laughs> I mean, it really does. I'm kind of blown away by that. And I, I want to ask if it wasn't in the wake of that, having that adult, that, like Christmas Story and Stand By Me, like having that adult reflection on childhood memory mm-hmm. thing you know, going on with a, I think it's the director that does the voiceover in this, right? It's not Arliss Howard who plays the adult smalls. So, cause his voice changes dramatically when he does his radio play by play. So. That's probably just him using his radio voice, Jay, but yeah, it's yeah. the director doing the, uh, the voiceover. So it's, um, I, I feel like it's hearkening back to those two movies deliberately. Cause those are very much coming of age movies. Those are very mm-hmm. much, I'm looking back at my childhood stories Gene Shepard, who after he did a Christmas story, also had a, a summer, uh, a summer movie where he did the same, uh, the same trick uh, with a Christmas story. I feel like they're definitely trying to tap into this is a thing that is existing in pop culture right now. This is a thing that has been around long enough that everyone knows, but it hasn't quite been overplayed because it, it's it's fairly rare that it, it breaks out. And this is the, the the way I'm going to structure this this story. Also feel like it's got like a little influence of like the wonder years going on too. Cause that was such a big phenomenon in yeah. the eighties and into the nineties. And you had that same sort of thing. I mean, it's been repeated over and over, but it, it's a, it's a storytelling device trope that if it's overdone can be too much, but I, I, I'm like you, Ron, I don't think they've ever com- completely overdone it. I think wisely they've, they've sort of figured out how to pepper it in. And the way to do it is you got to, you got to have a story that doesn't really center around major things. It doesn't, you know, it just sort of spans a piece in time. It's a small moment and you just sort of hit like specific beats, you know, like that, that are marking the time, you know, and, and in this is the, it's the summer for these kids. And like the, when they go through the summer and everything that you go through is a kid in the summer, right? Making new friends, 
playing outside, playing some sort of organized team sport, watching the super athlete, you know, befriend you. And you're going, how in the world is that happening? The guy who has the crush on the girl that's way out of his league, but somehow or another he winds up with her. Like all those things like happen in this movie. And, uh, but, it's, but while you can sit there and go like, oh yeah, the, how that would ever happen in anybody's life. I think every one of us could sit here today and think like, yeah, I know like four people that that would be their lives. Like, you mm-hmm. know, and, and which role you would play as part of it. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I was gonna ask did anybody else feel like this was the christmas story with baseball but <laughs> yeah it's you, a christmas story it it's a christmas story with baseball and then you get the animal house ending yeah <laughs> very much and hamilton porter became senator robert blutarski <laughs> i mean <laughs> that, yeah i was waiting for that when they threw out the wrestler thing i was like also fair i can see yeah. that <laughs> I actually did forget in that synopsis who ended up doing what. I mean, I did. I remembered a couple of them, but I didn't remember Hamilton Porter's and the great Hambino made sense. But I was waiting for something like that, too. Which one of them became the politician? That would have been. Well, I get, I, my, my, my assumption is the closest thing they would have to Animal House would be the kid who got way into the 60s and just kind of disappeared yeah yeah i was like that who was that kid and you know that could be taken either way because that kid could have grown up to be kevin bacon in animal house and he's just trampled you know all is well you know and then it's over but see i've seen animal house i just missed the sample you may know our second basement better by his assumed name abby hoffman (laughs) There, there you go that's that's fair but no i i um I like the the storytelling device of framing us through this kind of square kid. And I, I love how you synops, put it in the synopsis since you were his mother's like, please go get into trouble. And when has any mother ever said that? And I said to myself, I was like, no, that would have never come from my mother's lips. Like and under any circumstances. And I was kind of a square kid, but the, at no point was she warning me to go get in more trouble. Like that was no, that, that, but that's funny to see because I, I don't I don't know. I, I just cracked up at that because I thought, yeah, no one ever says that, right? So. You know what's funny? Brian even looked at me when that happened, too, and he goes, who parents like that anymore? Seriously, like, how great is that? What a great time. Like, who says that? And I said, I, my parents never needed to. We got into plenty of trouble <laughs> without <laughs> them egging us on. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, see, I I was the uh, the kid that had the older brother who did it all first, so I knew it was always better not to get caught. <laughs> that was that was my lesson in life. So I just and that manifested into well, if you don't do anything with anybody or do anything stupid, you won't get caught. So I, awesome. yeah, they're also also fair. So, but yeah, I, no, but I I do love the the setup of this and just sort of the quaintness of all of it. Because again, when you do movies that are set in the 1950s, you know, like you can 62. go over 62. Well, okay. So we're talking well, about like, then again, yeah. that trope of, you know, yeah, that, that time frame, like half and the first half of the decades are actually that. Time yeah. Frame. Yeah. Like yeah. pre pre Vietnam sixties, right. Yeah. Pre, you know, which is uh, basically the fifties. Yeah. Summer of all love, all that all stuff. Yeah. Pre, uh, w- when that Eisenhower, you know, part of America, right? But we're, we're beyond the war enough now that we've, we've gotten the prosperity. There's all this growth, you know, all this stuff. And it's easy to do that. And it come off like, I don't know, just really like it almost like a, you know, my party house, uh, you know, 
gimmick store kind of feel to it. And this movie it balances it real. Uh, it reminded me of another one that does that. It's only partially set in the, the time frame it starts in his blast from the past with Brendan uh, Frazier and Alicia Silverstone. When they show him <laughs> growing up as a kid, like they kind of nail that, that time frame perfectly. And it, it doesn't, you know, played off as too much of a joke i appreciated sort of the simplicity and the sweetness of all of it and that they didn't linger on all of those tropes too much but the way this movie is even decorated and stuff like it's it's perfect for its time Mm -hmm. and the clothes the clothes they wear are great the costuming is excellent those boys have played baseball in those same jeans for at least a year until you know they get one pair of jeans every time they go up a size and that's it. And those jeans right. are well worn in. Right. And that's usually you're, you're coming out of that size in that summer. So you're just wearing them out through the summer. That's why they all had the... their jeans cuffed like three inches. Did you see mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. But, you, but that I, as, as a kid who grew up in the deep South too, I'm like, we were wearing jeans outside in the summertime. That is definitely a California thing or Utah where this was shot. Cause I'm like, mm, drier climate. Because you, if you did that in Alabama, you would be stuck to your jeans. Like there's, no way you could pull that off yeah but but no no, i did i did think that was neat and i I love the way that they they interact with each other and it's i think it's a a real skill to be able to write dialogue for kids and them still sound like kids and not be over the top and i'll I'll really give the the director uh, writer credit for nailing that and particularly he was obviously pulling from his own childhood but then finding kids that could spit that language out because these are not kids from the era, obviously. So that you know, these are kids are going to grow up listening to Nirvana in a few years and stuff like that. So that they're going to see a lot of stuff. But I, I got a kick out of it. Yeah, and they really did. The delivery was great, and they looked like they were having a great time and saying everything so naturally, as if they were in that era. And I recently went to a children's show that had kids in it about the same age and nothing about that age is natural. So (laughs) the fact, the fact that they got that many children to be that good, I commend you, sir. Well, it's funny. You mentioned uh, wearing jeans in the summer, Jay, because even in the dry climate of Utah, where this is shot and shout out to our good friend, Michael Scott, AKA Hibachi justice from action for everyone who probably knows exactly where the Sandlot was shot because he knows everything about the film industry in Utah. Um, <laughs> the kid who plays Smalls actually passed out once for, from heat exhaustion. <laughs> it was like 105 in the, okay. in the desert. They're all like sweating through like collared shirts that are unbuttoned, but you know, they've got like three layers of stuff on and, and those, uh, high cuff jeans just dropping like flies. Yeah, I can believe it you completely. You you didn't need the campfire to make the s'mores. Um, you just leave them sitting outside for a minute. And it would melt itself. We, we talked a minute ago about Smalls and his mom and made a brief mention earlier about Dennis Leary being his dad. And I want to say, I, I mean, I was not super familiar with, chain smoking crazy Dennis Leary, but early aughts Dennis Leary, I was pretty familiar with. Um, and I had a friend who did a few episodes of the show rescue me, which Dennis Leary was in. And she said that he is absolutely a huge New York dick, like in real life. 
but also at the same time, somehow the nicest person she'd ever met. (laughs) 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 And and she was like, yeah, he was just like so warm and inviting, but also like a huge jerk. I can't describe it. I don't really know how else to put it. And so I got that vibe as his dad, like as a stepdad, you know, he was just really played it real low key. Yeah, that's the thing I think that took me back was like Dennis Leary playing someone reserved and like, I don't mean conservative politically. I mean, like sort of just very concerned with his work and, you know, straight lace and stuff like that. Playing that, that especially in 1993, that was mostly very most against type for Dennis Leary (laughs) and putting him opposite of Karen Allen, too. Like we, we shouldn't let that go away that. Indiana Jones's love interest from <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark was just the random mom in, in this movie, and I'm like, well, I didn't expect to see that either. And yeah, I, I don't know. They and had Bill such, Murray's love interest in Scrooge. True, right? Yeah, I mean, she played a lot of those in her career, and well, I mean, she was the love interest in Animal House too. She go all the way back. She's all the love interest. Wow. So, so just together, Jake. Tie the, tie the whole circle together, but it was a Karen Allen's career as being someone's love interest. So, but I mean, really, I, I didn't expect her either, but they had like real, real adult relationship chemistry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Curly Bill did, didn't have kids. He married, you know, her, she had kids and he was just like, yeah, he's just sort of easing into that role, but he's not, like, he doesn't, know, he's as uncomfortable as, as Scott is too, as he doesn't know how to feel him out and he's trying to be, nice but he's got to be dad too and i've got to do work and you know all this stuff i don't know i just i i liked him though i I gave um dennis leary a lot of credit for doing something again i didn't i mean now i would say yes he's capable that rescue me was an incredible show he was great in it and i've seen him do some really cool stuff you know in the 2000s and beyond but in the 90s i would have never banked on that so the fact that they got him and pulled that off is pretty amazing yeah, in the '90s, you always expected Dennis Leary to show up and be Edgar Friendly, not uh, uh, a bro-creamed father figure type. But it, it's really good casting, though, because his awkwardness comes across as really natural, and like like Lindsay said, his his he's both approachable and kind, but also kind of a, a dick and and distant and aloof, which is. Which is very much, I know, Lindsay, I'm sure you've been to New York, but that was my experience in New York, was the friendliest jerks that I've ever met. Yeah. No, who, that's... Would, who were totally willing to, like, help my poor dumb tourist self find a thing I was looking for. But, like, if I stopped on the sidewalk and didn't immediately step out of the flow of traffic, I would be moved out of the flow of traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I once had a, a a graduate assistant who worked with me, and he just looked at me one day and said, "Jane, I don't know where you're from, but you walk like a New Yorker. You'd make it there." <laughs> I, I appreciated the compliment, and and I was like, I, "I I'll take that. Thank you." Having been to the city a few times, I understood what he meant. I was like, "Oh, okay, sure." So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I no Dennis Leary, and and particularly the way he plays off of this kid they have such a neat relationship that's told mostly through like the way that they look at each other and they kind of react to each other they don't have a ton of dialogue together most of it's voiceover you know but that tom geary kid does a really good job of playing a kid who's definitely hasn't gotten comfortable in his own skin yet but 
it's almost like he's okay with that too. You know, like that's, that's the thing is I never felt like Scotty was sort of looking for something else in his life. He didn't know anything was missing. He just sort of felt like it was there. What he really wanted to do is connect with Bill on some level. And he was going to try his darndest to do it. And you can tell Bill feels really bad when he you know, blacks his eye, but he's like, eh, you know, he didn't know what, know what to do with that. You know, at least he caught the ball. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> Talk about a quotable piece, but yeah. which was yeah. which was one of the my loudest laughs of the movie. I have to admit, <laughs> I don't remember that line from when I was younger, but but <laughs> something about watching it now, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I just had to pause the movie to cackle. I mean, it, it, <laughs> la- it lands about like Robert Duvall in Days of Thunder telling Tom Cruise to go out and hit the pace car because he said everything else on the track. I want you to be perfect. You know, I mean, it's the same kind of laughter I got out of that too. But, but it was, but it's good. I mean, again, again lighthearted, family friendly movie, whatever you want to call this. Like those jokes can can be stale or they can grow stale. And the fact that you both are still laughing at this and you've seen it before, I'm still laughing at it. And the movie's 30 years old. I'm like, okay, that's comedy that works. And that's, that's when you know you're hitting something and you can tell early. I'm like early on in this movie, I, I have no reason to attach to it. And I'm already like, I'm like, stop taking notes. I'm just watching it. And I'm like, hold on a minute. I got to <laughs> rewind, like write this down. Cause what happened? Cause I just get sucked into it. And that's a mark of a really good storytelling device. There is a moment too when his mom. This is at the at, before the catch scene, but his mom comes into his room and she gets pegged right in the face with the erector set ball. And I knew it was coming, and I started giggling before it even happened. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is the best part, Brian. This is the best part. Watch this. And she, I'm pretty sure, actually got hit right in the forehead with that ball. Because a few minutes later, you can see this indentation right in her forehead. If you go back and look, mm-hmm. like she definitely got hit with that little ball. Yeah, yeah. the HD transfer does not hide. <laughs> you could like see that, it. So. You could see it when it was still on VHS. I remember yeah. thinking then that like that was hilarious, but it's still funny. Mm-hmm. All the all the jokes are still funny. I like that, um, that all that stuff came back at the end of the movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, as one of their very, it's like finally this this little nerd gets a chance to use his nerdery to impress his friends, and that uh, that made me feel very happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I mean, science versus nature, I think, is what he said. Right, you're right. That, they have that whole yeah, mix of that. Not to, not to jump ahead, that was a pretty phenomenal feat of uh, engineering he did with a bunch of you know pot metal. Right. Yeah. I was impressed with that. I thought, man, that's, uh, this kid's going places. If we can do that at this age. I mean, all of their engineering in their, well, I mean, besides the first rudimentary, you know, stick trying to pull the ball back, but all of their, when they started really engineering some stuff, it was like, how are these kids coming up with this? But. Well, I, I, I'm I'm going to be the old guy in the room, though, and remember when you did just get sent outside with nothing more than your imagination and what you could find in the yard, you know, and mm-hmm. I, being an old Boy Scout and stuff like you get you get in, ingenious with the stuff you start inventing and putting together. And the, like I always get a kick out of those movies that do that. I think the television version of it does a really good job of showing these kids kind of building a dam just out of whatever they've got and, you know, and all this stuff. And I had a friend that would, would look at something like that and go like, Oh no, no, you got to stack up like this and do this. So you had like the one friend that knew math basically. And the rest of us would go, sure. And we were the laborer. And it was, I, I appreciated that. I thought that was fun. And I don't, um, I don't, uh, 
think that's something that's necessarily lost either because I, again i've seen my younger nephews who go pretty modern and they have all the tech and stuff like that but sometimes you just throw them in the yard and like the stuff that those kids come up with to do it's pretty i think it's just being a kid you don't you don't have anything in your mind uh, or years of people telling you no not that's not the way to do it here's what the book says that talks you out of it yet and that that's what's fun though and that that's what's neat about this movie is that it gives enough time to show that that exists and that it has ramifications long and that's why you let kids do this you know kind of thing because that's how they learn that's how they learn how to figure stuff out and i don't know i appreciated that as as a kid who learned by doing a lot of the times and still learn by just you know let me put my hands on it and i can figure it out now before all that happens though we gotta back up and talk about benny being kind enough to take smalls under his wing he found his ninth man i think that was maybe his ulterior motive there but yeah i don't know i get the impression the way the way it was played i feel like he maybe was picked on as a younger kid or just picked on in general um wherever he grew up because he it felt like he just didn't like to see him getting picked on he didn't like to see smalls getting made fun of he it felt like he took that very personally I think being the Hispanic kid, even growing up in California, he was an outsider, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that he was good at sports got him a pass with a lot of people. And I think he could see through that when people were doing that. So when he sees a kid that's legitimately getting picked on who just doesn't know any better, he's like, come on, let me, let me show you how to do it. You know, and because mm-hmm. the truth is, like, if somebody will show you how to do stuff, it's amazing what you can do. It, just, it sort of boosts the self-confidence too. And I don't know. I got, I got a kick out of that. I do love the look on Benny's face though. When Smalls tells him that he doesn't know how to throw. And it is a, it's like just this combination of shock and disappointment and confusion. And what do I do with this kid now? And then he figures it out and everything works out. But all these emotions play over his face. And I think, I don't know if you've got, if you guys have ever been in a situation, work or whatever, where you just, something that to you seems so like baseline, uh, basic knowledge. And then someone who you assume also knows that is like, what? I, I don't know how to do that. And it's like, oh, right. <laughs> Not, <laughs> this isn't okay someone needs to show you how to do this. I'll, I'll tell you my frame of reference for that in movies is Kevin Bacon teaching Chris Penn how to dance in Footloose in an incredible <laughs> montage sequence. <laughs> and I mean, because Chris was like, I can't do it at all. And he still can't, by the way, at the end of the movie. But Kevin Bacon's like, it's all right. We're going to hang out with my Walkman and listen to some good music. And that, you know, the next thing you know, Chris Penn's doing the rabbit in front of Sarah Jessica Parker. So. Well, this is just one lesson, and Smalls is like, you know, he's good to go. He can catch, he can throw, he can do it all. He just needed a little confidence. Yep. I, I I relate that again to like kind of the romantic story of baseball is that it's not a complicated game. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's you you need a stick and a ball and three things you can decide on as bases, and you've got it. Like that's it. It's, you know, the old joke of why is soccer popular around the world? Because all you have to have is a ball and what you can agree is a net. And that is it. And that you don't need much to pull it off. You don't, the rules aren't that complicated. Um, you know, except when you get into 
beyond you know, what you're doing as a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, there's no nobody cares what the infield fly rule is. Like you're just trying to play ball. You know, it's not that big a deal. But I think that, that again, that goes back to kind of the sweetness factor of all of this and and plays into it. So Smalls taking measures, you're being taken under his wing is great. Now I, I want to hear Lindsay's massive crush story on Benny though, and sort of how that has lasted <laughs> through the years because oh you tease that you can't you can't not tell us all of it. Well, it's weird now as an adult to be like, <laughs> oh Benny, y'all are like um, the same age. Like, it's fine. I'm not like so. that. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> No, I I don't know. My friends and I, all the girls, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I was one of those kids growing up. I had like two best friends. I didn't talk to anybody else. So um, we were huge fans of the Sandlot and just like boy crazy. But Benny Rodriguez was just like the hottest thing ever. It was him and uh, the kid who was in Rookie of the Year, which came out close oh. to around the same time. Um but, Ian something, right? Thomas Ian Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Would, would later star in, I think, one of the Halloween movies? I think I'm not mistaken, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what's not, what's not to like about Benny Rodriguez? Like, what fifth grader has that much swagger, really? Like, he's confident, he's kind, he can, you know, play baseball like a boss. I don't know. We all just swoon for him. Him. Even as like, I mean, there were, I feel like there were moments in high school when we were like, we're probably too old to think these things, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Glad we're on the same page. But he, was, I, I'm sure he was in high school when he filmed it, so... I was gonna say, yeah, he's probably you know older than than he looked yeah. anyway. But I, I, did either of you go to high school or grow up with anybody that like went on to become like famous or an athlete or anything like that? I didn't. I knew some guys that like played in college and stuff, but nothing that nothing really like this. Yeah. There was a, Josh Willingham who played baseball for years and retired. Where he's from my hometown, but he was a lot younger than me, so that was after my time. Yeah, I went. I did go to high school with a few guys uh, that went on to play college sports, um, football, baseball, and I think soccer. Even a couple of them like did cross country, and so they still run even now. Um, But now the closest, I think, one of my classmates. I think he actually is a mortgage broker, but he and his wife like owned a gym or something. But he was a college athlete too, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, no one, no one I grad, no one I went to high school with ever became like, super famous. <laughs> uh, a couple of guys in my high school had uh, did did some time in the NFL. Uh, you may remember former Oakland Raiders running back Michael Bush. Yes, I remember Michael Bush. Yeah, high school. So. Um, the best athlete uh, on my high school team was this guy named Tony Driver. Who I actually met actually met Joe Paterno because Joe Paterno had come to our high school to recruit Tony Driver to play for Penn State. Tony Driver Gosh. ended up going to Notre Dame, where they switched him from running back to uh, safety, and then he played in the NFL for like two seasons as a safety. And there were some other guys from my high school who had like cups of coffee in the NFL or who played a little, um, you know, uh, uh, fringe major league baseball types and. Uh, uh, one of the guys from a couple of the guys from most of the people who played uh, soccer at my college were actually professionals from other countries because you could play in AIA uh, and mm-hmm. not need your uh, amateur eligibility yeah, and not have to know English. So we had some guys come over to learn English basically and 
a couple of those guys played in MLS or, you know, played in like the Intervise in the Netherlands mm. or, you know, uh, played for Copa Africa teams, stuff like that. I, I think the that's cool. The thing I was thinking about is like all of us so remember like the star athlete when you were a kid or in high school and stuff, mm-hmm. and you just waited for them to break out, you know, and whether they did or not didn't matter. When you think about them in high school, like there's, there's a couple of different ways that goes. They either become uncle Rico from Napoleon dynamite, right. Or, you know, what, one of those things, or they, they just go on to become people. And then you think about like, Oh, I remember when, you know, you used to do this or whatever. It's, it's cool to think about it. And I, I'm trying to think like, of these characters and particularly smalls, because obviously he's still friends with Rodriguez because you know, they both work for the Dodgers and um, their smalls works for the media outlet and, uh, and Rodriguez plays. And the fact that they they've stayed connected through the years, like they never lost that friendship. I mean, that's I'm, I, I'm not in contact with anybody. Like I was a kid friend with through the years, but people I went to high school with and stuff and college, like I'm still in, you know, I, that's when I really formed my closest friendships. I'm still in, in contact with them. And I, I don't know that I related to that. I think every adult in some way or another can. And I think it's probably why this movie relates so well, not only to kids, but to adults is because we, we all still have those relationships that we still talk to. Like Lindsay, you said you're still friends with your two girlfriends from you know, growing up and stuff like that. So like, it's, it's just something you don't forget, you know? And I, that's what this movie, like you can bass it by and say, it's about kids playing baseball. And that's sort of the MacGuffin of the thing, but it's really about friendship and sort of the things that you, you bond over that, they may be trivial things like baseball trivia or whatever, but they're things that you can tell stories about. And that's manifested in the fact that when they meet James Earl Jones and you know how that whole story plays out and that his deal with them for, you know, really bailing on smalls out of trouble is to just come over and talk baseball with me, you know, just talk. To me. And I'm, you know, I think about some of the older men that used to strike up conversations with me when I was a kid. And at the time I didn't really appreciate it. And now I realized like they, they were, just they were just looking for somebody to talk to sometimes, you know, and it's just to tell their stories to. And it's I don't know, it's neat. It was a, there was something really like that's the part that kind of got to me and got the waterworks going. You know, for me was when that happened. Yeah, I get that. I I felt a little bit of that too watching it this time because I've I've known a lot of older people who just want to talk and share their stories, and I love that. I'll sit and listen to grandparents all day long. Um, but he, yeah, he's just, <laughs> I do like the point too, where he goes, you in a lot of trouble, boy, aren't you? And then he tells them, he is no, you're dead where you stand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he finds out what, what he's done. He stole that baby with baseball. I have no idea what it's done. And that dog has chewed it to pieces. And he's like, oh, it's even worse. I mean, it's only James Earl Jones could spit out. And what's so funny to me is everybody, like, James Earl Jones has become like this grandfatherly figure, even though he's the voice of Darth Vader, you know, and all that stuff. But I didn't know him as that originally. I didn't know he was Darth Vader until, you know, I was a little bit older. I knew he was the bad guy in Conan the Barbarian because I saw that movie way too young at live because my dad was into that kind of stuff so i he was always Thulsa doomed to me no matter yes. what and to see him play like these grandfather characters is like man that is spooky aren't you going to turn into a snake or something uh he's <laughs> so great though he well the kids think that he's really mean they think that he's this mean scary guy and then he lets out like this jolly laugh and it's like how how could you think that look at this guy just a big teddy bear i do like um Smalls is we realize when when Mr. Myrtle, James Earl Jones, they're talking about Babe Ruth and he goes, George. And Scotty Smalls goes, 
George Herman Ruth? Yes, that guy. And I was <laughs> like, oh. So at what point in the last, I don't know, handful of days did you pick up that piece of information? Now he's Somebody just an expert the, on Babe Ruth. He, he went to the library and found himself an encyclopedia is what he did. I think so. <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, that, but that was such a cute scene because like you say, they they build him up and they build that dog up, of course, as like this evil thing. I feel like <laughs> we can blame all the evil dog tropes in the world on Stephen King going all the way back to Cujo and, and other stuff. But like that's always been the fear, like the monster dog in the neighborhood. And I remember that dog that you'd ride your bike by the neighborhood and you pedaled twice as fast to get by it because you were afraid of it, when really the dog was just trying to speak to you. <laughs> like, please pet me. I'm sorry I'm loud. You know, and that's when you find out later, you're like, oh, you're just a big softie. And I, my, my brother-in-law had a, a Mastiff for years. Yeah. And Buster was this, he didn't realize he was a horse. I mean, he was a huge dog, but he was such a big softie. So he would bark, <laughs> but it was, it was just him saying hello. <laughs> you know, I mean, see, that's just who he was, and I, it's it's neat now as an adult to see it. But as a kid, I'm like, oh, I've been terrified of a dog like that, and I love the the whole dog chase tropes and stuff. It reminded me of that Looney Tunes a bit, where Foghorn Leghorn's whipping the hell out of that hound dog all the time because it's sort of the same kind of relationship. <laughs> I really enjoyed the uh, the various puppets we see of the beast throughout this. Yeah, when it's the the legend of the beast, and they do the whole uh, black and white nineteen fifties monster movie version of the beast, uh, and then you get all these shots of like the giant uh, puppet paws and the big puppet head and all that stuff. And then when we cut to the actual dog, it's just like, oh, it's just an English mastiff. It's it's you know, it's a large slobber dog, but it, it's fine. But you also consider, well, I mean. I thought that too. And I knew it was an English Mastiff going into it. And now I know many more English Mastiffs in my life between family and friends owning them. I mean, those things are easily 150 to 200 pounds. So he weighs more than any of those kids do at that point. So he probably in their imagination is just the biggest, scariest thing ever. So I, I, I am with you, Ron, big fan of the puppets because I took it as this is how these kids clearly mm -hmm. see the beast and how wild their imaginations really are. Yeah, that's I do like exactly. all the things that the beast chews up too when they pull it out and it's just covered with slobber and nasty stuff. I, I will say I've never had an English Mastiff, but uh, growing up we had a Doberman Pinscher who could pick up a steel-belted radial tire and throw it across the yard with a flick of his head. <laughs> and he... <laughs> chewed up a uh a metal uh a metal pot that was that they'd given him some water and he he chewed it to pieces so i will say that uh yeah. I, everything the beast does when they're trying to retrieve the ball um particularly <laughs> particularly throwing the uh the catapult uh thing <laughs> tracks with, uh big dog behavior because yep. uh, yeah that, because that dog evil would pick up anything he could get off the ground and, and he was strong enough to chuck it with just a flick of his head. It was great. But that, that's the fun part too, right? Is watching these kids react to this monster creature. And then, you know, when they finally free him, he's just a big softy too. He's just like, Oh no, I just wanted attention. You know, thanks. My owner's blind. So he's not really great at hanging out. There. So you guys, you guys, you, you fellas want to come see my ball collection. It's pretty impressive. So, like, it was kind of what the dog does. He's the James Earl Jones of dogs. 
<laughs> right. Yes. Thank you. Rough, That's ex- big and imposing, exactly. huge voice, big softy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this so, is the point at which we try to talk Jay into getting a dog. I mean, yeah, that, that talk has been going on forever. <laughs> Thankfully, my wife doesn't listen to this show. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I keep saying, like, when I retire, that's like, I'm, it wouldn't be fair to a dog. I work way too many hours right now. Like, there's no, there's no way. But, uh, you know, I, but I, I have the best kind of dogs. I said, I go and see former uh, film strip uh, alumnus Nick. I go see his dogs and hang out with them. So I have a niece and nephew dog. That's what I say. All right. <laughs> yeah. That'll do. That'll do. Yeah. You want to talk about the treehouse thing? Yeah, I do want to talk about. One of the things I like. Yeah, I was just going to transition us to that. Yeah. Transition Uh, away. One of the things I like is that we don't just get like, we don't just jump straight into the beast. uh, Unlike the podcast where we jump straight into talking about the beast. We get a lot of like, (laughs) these are some things that happened over the summer. This is kind of the rising action. We didn't always play baseball. You know, they get together to have uh, that fun treehouse sleepover where they do the talk about the beast and we get the fun 1950s movie monster um, black and white thing as uh, Squint tells the story that he heard like secondhand from his grandfather about the origin of the beast. And um, then we segue into the infamous pool day and we meet the... uh, the local legend uh, lifeguard Wendy Pfefferkorn, a.k.a. Marley Shelton, who was 18 years old when she shot this movie. I, I was going to ask. I was like, she is not the same age as any of these other people because I know Marley Shelton's been in a lot of stuff. and I. But I get it. I think every, I, I grew up in a town that had the public pool stuff too, and everybody had a crush on one or two of the lifeguards that you do. You know, it was just – it was a – I th- it was a rite of passage, at least for me as a boy growing up, too, to have a crush on the lifeguards. And I think it started from when I was a little kid. One of the girls that used to babysit me during the summer when my parents worked was also a lifeguard. And Tabitha was this gorgeous blonde girl that I thought was the coolest thing on earth that this 17-year-old girl would talk to a nine-year-old me, you know. And so I you know, I see her today. She's still giving me a big hug. So she was kind of my first crush, too. So I get it. I, I never worked out as well for me as it does the kid in this movie. But, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, I, but I, I, lo- I, love the, I love all of this. I love the whole pool day thing and the way that we break from the baseball, like you're saying, Ron, because it gives us the life of a kid in the summer. Like, there is more to it than just baseball. I love the scene right before they go to the pool, too, where Benny clearly does not want to go to the pool. And he does the whole, all right, fine, let's vote on it. <laughs> that was also a very funny scene. If you want to be a can't hack it, panty waist, who wears their mama's bra, and everyone's like, yeah, no, that's fine. I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that the, you hit on something. Lizzie. The insults in this movie are hilarious. They are they are of a time that doesn't exist anymore. Because when I was a kid, we, we got a lot rougher. So I that was so quaint and fun to hear some of the stuff these kids throw. I at each even other. picked up some different ones that I'd never heard before, and I laughed so hard every time. Also, fun fact in the the scene where they're going up against that other little league team and they're really throwing those insults back and forth. Ham has an insult that says you mix your Wheaties with your mama's toe jam, which was always my favorite one. (laughs) But until about a week ago, I thought 
that line was you make your weenies with your mama's toe jam. Because like, everything goes into hot dogs, so that made sense to me. I was like, oh, okay, toe jam hot dog. Lindsay and read the jingle as a kid, we now know. So it, it wasn't until it wasn't until like seriously a week ago, guys, that I realized that that was the wrong insult. And I've been saying it wrong the entire time. And literally no one has ever corrected me. It's it it's really similar. It's like all the great misheard lyrics of rock and roll history, right? Yeah. It's that, that same stuff. When, it, when it's finally revealed to you, you're like, oh, that's what you were saying? Like, my, my favorite one was you bob for apples in the toilet and you like it. Like, that, that was, I was like, oh, that, yeah, that sounds like something my friends would have said when I was growing up. Before we you know, all saw the Terminator and started using language we shouldn't have used. But, yeah. <laughs> Ron, what was your favorite insult? Oh, man. Um Oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I laughed at the whole time when Ham is just talking to the other team to, while they're oh, trying yeah. to swing away. And he's just like, you know, oh, hey, your sister's out there in the outfield and she's naked. Do you see your sister out there in the outfield that she's naked? <laughs> <laughs> and just like saying these things, just throwing these things out so casually, like, like. Uh, <laughs> I, I invite both of you to watch at least the opening to the 1986 version of the story Brewster's Milligans with John Candy and Richard Pryor. And John Candy as a catcher is my point of reference for baseball insults because the things he lays on those opposing batters throughout that movie, whenever he's playing catcher is amazing. It's like, I don't know, man, you ever see Dixon's wife? She's ugly as hell or whatever, you know? And then like the next guy comes up, he's like, man, I don't know. Well, I can't take it. The guy can't take a joke. I mean, you ever see his wife? Yeah, she's ugly as hell. And he smacks over the fence. You know I mean? It's just that, that kind of thing. It's funny. That's not what he says. I'm trying to you know, PG it up for the, the show, but I, that's my frame of reference for that. But it reminded me, I was watching this kid and I was like, it's, it's, dude, he's doing John Candy from, uh, you know that or you know uh, the guy from uh, the program the middle linebacker who just talks unbelievable trash like I mean you're the one that left my mother in the street or whatever you know like, I, lo I love like sports movie trash talk it's always beyond you think it's beyond but nowadays with everybody being mic'd up and stuff like it's not even close to some of the stuff these dudes lay on each other and I'm talking about <laughs> professionals like I know what some of these college dudes say but it's I, I don't know sports movie trash talk is like it's own, it could be its own podcast maybe like the end of Rocky 3 where Rocky is talking all that smack at Clubber. That's some of the best trash talk ever. I mean, like that, I love all of that stuff. And so I'm, I'm watching AM do this and I'm just having all these flashes in my head. And it was, it was fun. It was a real funny bit. He's definitely the comedy of the, like when they found that kid, they had to know like, oh, we got to give this kid zingers and just let him do them because he can spit them out. You know? <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's a reason this kid was in like all sorts of uh, Disney sports movies. Um, and that's because he really just can pop those, he can pop those insults out like nobody's business. And his delivery is really funny to me because it's like, it, what it makes me think of is I'll watch those YouTube, uh, compilations of like, uh, NBA players talking about the coldest insults they ever heard from Larry Bird or whatever. And it's like, these are very, just like off the cuff, Larry Bird type casual insults <laughs> that is the kind of thing that, you know, doesn't make somebody blow up, but you just get in their head just enough to make them think, you know, they're just going to pass me the ball and I'm just going to shoot it over you. Right. And there's nothing you can do about it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull out here. I'm going to drive to the left. I'll pull up at the elbow and shoot a jumper. And you're just going to watch it go in. And then he comes out and does it. Yep. 
that was pretty much Larry. So that's, I mean, I mean, you talk about a cold, like he's from the Midwest and he's as cold hearted jerk as any New Yorker you've ever met. I mean, he's cold, but, but I mean, that, yeah, I love that though. Cause it, again, it's something we could all relate to. And there was always that, I mean, I had a friend that was kind of like ham, a sort of built like him as a kid. And he always had the best lines. I was always so jealous of the stuff he could just, just come up with out of nowhere. And I'm like, man, I wish I was that funny, you know, which like, you know, if you knew him now, like I, I saw him several years ago and he's so, it's such a different, like so buttoned down. Like I think he's like an accountant or something, which is not what I thought that kid would end up doing, you know, when we were growing up. But uh, I think we all knew one, right? Like we all knew the, or we were that kid. Ron and Liz, you probably were that kid for a lot of, but, uh, y'all are much more perverse than I am. No, maybe not when I was a kid. I was I was kind of a I was a little goody two shoes, but I was always jealous of the class clown boys that always had those zingers like right at the tip of their tongue. I would think of something good like two days later. I wasn't the class clown, but I was very very much that kid. I just I, <laughs> I, I didn't want that. to do anything to make class last longer. So, so in the issue of expediency, I was trying to just get us out of there. I just remember your wife texting me like, you just really need to have my husband on your show. This is many years ago. I mean, he watches trash and he's funny. I mean, that's what's like her. her <laughs> line. And I'm like, well, okay, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> and, you know, an argument over. Your wife has the zingers, Ron. Uh, Holly, she didn't sling them out much, but when she did, she, she always had a good one. So at least from my memory of knowing her all those years. But. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, but it's, but I mean, that's to say, I think we all relate to that. And that's what makes this, this so fun, you know, and how, how it goes down. What does y'all think about how, like, I expected Bill to like really have the over the top TV dad reaction to the baseball being stolen and stuff. And the fact that he has like an incredibly adult reaction to it is, I don't know, it's sort of like, well, I, I expected Dennis Larry to go nuclear there and he, he didn't do it. And okay, he didn't ground me for life. He just grounded me for a week. I mean, he did get an upgrade, like a serious upgrade. <laughs> yeah, he, and he wouldn't know that, yeah. As an apology. And it's not like his baseball's missing. It still exists. So if there's a nostalgic attachment to it, he can go see the ball whenever he wants. But, yeah, I mean, the kid needed to be grounded. That's fair. But I did love his, wow, reaction when he opened the ball. Though I think like normal Dennis Leary probably would have blown a stop. Yeah, he definitely would have burned that kid with a cigarette or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, would have been a totally different movie at that point. Yeah, but yeah, he would have put one out on his head or whatever. So, while he was hey, kid, you want to but... see something I learned in Korea? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take a pit. Yeah, exactly. So, Get Tarantino to direct the next Sandlot, and Kenny <laughs> Rodriguez yeah. actually gets caught by the dog and loses an arm. And it's- <laughs> there, there'll be lots of close-ups of Karen Allen's feet. So, <laughs> so. all right. So, no, I- uh, so how do we feel in this day and age about Squint's whole plan at the pool? How does that play to you guys in twenty twenty two? The most genius idea I wish I had thought of it when I was his <laughs> age. <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that feels like a loaded question. I'm I don't I I don't take an issue with it. I'm also probably the wrong person to ask. 
Brian and I are about the same age differential as Squints and Wendy. So. <laughs> it's really? different when you're in your 30s, though, than when you're a teenager. That's very true. But I mean, he's like, he's like, what? How old are fifth graders? 10? Is that right? Mm, yeah, 10, 10 yeah, 12, 10, 10, 11. Yeah. yeah. So. I think Smalls is 12. Yeah. Yeah. He's right around 11 or 12. So, yeah, that, that hits about right. So. Yeah, I guess they just finished fifth grade, so they're about to yeah. go into sixth. So, yeah, yeah. Like 11, 12 would make sense. 11, 12 trying to make out with an 18-year-old. I mean, I don't know. I thought I still think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's pl- I think because it's played. Maybe. I think it's hilarious. Because it's played for laughs and it's played so sweet, it's it's an innocent thing. Like, it really is. Like, it's not, there's yeah. nothing, like, you can sit, people can write, like, you know, tons of essays on how horrendous this is or whatever. No, you're missing the point of the movie. Like, this, this isn't the sweet kind of things you do when you have a crush and you're trying to get their attention and it never works out like this. But in Hollywood, it can. And that's what <laughs> Hollywood is for, is making young boys' dreams come true. I mean, there were consequences to his actions, arguably. He did get kicked yeah. out of the pool for... Yeah ever but i just i love his like course i have been planning it for years i I appreciate that he clearly gave this some thought and it clearly Mm -hmm. worked this all out in his head without telling anyone because he didn't want to spoil their natural reaction of of shock and horror as he sinks to the bottom of the pool which can we talk about how when they were shooting this pool scene the pool was like 56 degrees the water Oh, okay. Now, now I have real yeah, respect for that kid, kid now. Yeah. Yeah, wow, you can see that's... his teeth chattering at the bottom of the pool <laughs> when he's like dead man floating to the bottom. You can see him like being cold. It's 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 crazy. That that well uh, props even more now for going through with the stunt. So I mean that's wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Ingram. Those conditions the kids were in now. I'm like, wow, was that? I mean, I guess it was okay in the early 90s. I don't think that would fly now. They're playing in 100-degree temperatures and swimming in 58-degree pools. Well, yeah, the union clearly wasn't watching this one when it was getting so. made. Well, here's the thing. Apparently, all the kids like had a blast making this movie, and they just loved oh, it. Oh, I'm sure. And I know that uh, Benny the Jet and Smalls, they introduced them like two weeks before shooting so they could get to know each other and build their relationship. And I think that that time they had to build a, a, a friendship really shows up on screen and the, the, the friendships that all the kids made during the filming, it really, it feels like a natural friend group and mm-hmm. yet it's not necessarily a natural friend group. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I didn't have nine friends, but no. you know, I don't have nine friends now. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, no, I, I'm, I loved all of it, and I loved that camaraderie. And that's something that you find every now and then. One of these gems in, in Hollywood when they they really find people that have chemistry together, you know, and that can manifest in a lot of different ways. But you can tell when people actually get along and they're friends. Like the the kids that are in the again, I go back to that 1990 TV version of it. Like they all were friends. Like they got to be friends. They had Tommy Lee Wallace had them all hang out together so they could be friends. And you can tell like that they, they had their own little alliances and it, it works. It's that's cute. It's neat. And I think, I think I saw a thing. I was just flipping through YouTube or whatever after this, just, you know, Sandlot stuff. And like on the today show had them back, like at a 25th reunion or whatever. And like, they're still like, mm-hmm. kind of chummy and you could tell like they kind of kept in touch here and there. And I, it was just neat. It's it kind of cool yeah. to see. 
Most of them just have like normal jobs. Yeah. I think Benny Rodriguez, um, Vitar, the actor, I think he's like a firefighter now or was for a little yeah. while. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's some accountants in there. One of them yeah. was in and out of jail a few times. Like, she's yeah. like a random hodgepodge of, you know, mm-hmm. just normal people. But the resolve of it is great because you, you always want that kind of end where they, they tell you sort of what happens to everybody. Now, I, I love movies that show a, a younger person and then they fade off the screen. Like that's, I know it's, it's kind of a cheap camera trick, but I, I love it. I always thought that was neat because that's kind of when I mean, you start like if I had to sit around and think about nine people I went to grade school with. Like it, in my memory, I would have to kind of manifest them from a smoke like that. You know, like what happened to, you know, this person or whatever. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's neat to sort of think back about that kind of stuff. It's uh, again, it's part of that whole coming of age story trope anyway, that stand by me kind of thing. But I love it. I, I love the way that that all worked out. And then that coda at the end is that I did not see that coming. I thought this was going to end with, you know, smalls like throwing the ball with bill or something. And then we, we go to modern day, you know, Dodger stadium or whatever. Yep. With smalls wearing the hat that he apparently never burned. And then we end with that dorky thumbs up that they yes, do. I don't do think that. a thumbs up ever looks cool. Like, I don't think anyone can make a thumbs up look cool. Only even, the Juicy Fruit twins, like, ever made that work. So. I was like, even the star player for the L.A. Dodgers, when he throws that thumbs up, it's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> if you it's, can't I, do it, then. I mean, yeah, hand signals in sports movies and me have a long history. The Hulk Hogan thing from No Holds Barred, like, it looks dumb <laughs> as today as it ever did then. And it just it didn't work. Like, I, I think everybody's trying to make a thing you know, in, in these movies and it just, yeah, you're not going to get it. So yeah, it's didn't work, but we had the, the whole scene where Vinny runs through the entire town, right? Mm-hmm. He's being chased by the dog. How many slow motion shots of this dog jumping over things did we get? Cause I feel like mm-hmm. there was a lot of dog penis and testicles on display throughout this. <laughs> I, I equated that to the ending running and jumping scene of Ferris Bueller's Day Off when we most definitely did not see Matthew Broderick's uh, utilities. Um, But we did get a real slow-mo shot of him in a great jacket, which I would wear today if I could get a hold of it, Um, of him coming down like parachuting over a fence or whatever in front of Mr. Rooney. How does Jeffrey Jones keep winding up in our podcast anyway? Uh, but um, No, I, I thought about like that. I just felt like that. I did not focus on the, uh, the dog's uh, gear as it were, but uh, now that you say that it's going to be in my dreams tonight. So thanks. Ryan. There just seemed like <laughs> I there did was notice a lot it at it. one point. Yeah, there was, I mean, and there's a lot to just, it is a mastiff. So it's kind of, well, it, was to... the, it was just the fact that it was always doing slow motion jumps over the camera. And they did slow motion jump <laughs> over the camera like five times. I, I think the fact that this movie got made before Van Wilder got made is the reason we weren't paying attention to it. And now afterward, we, that's why we, we pay attention to it. So once again, like a lot of things, it's Ryan Reynolds' fault. Yeah, we can blame Ryan Reynolds. Thanks a lot, Green Lantern. <laughs> also, Squints and, and <laughs> Wendy Pfefferkorn have nine children. That's insane. Yeah, I bet she fell into her own uterus at that point. I was like, like yeah, I mean, give her a break, dude. It's, it's fine. She's not going to go anywhere after <laughs> kid six. Probably okay. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I stayed with a family once who had 10 kids, all their own. Yeah. Um, it was like a, a summer program and like they were my house spawn, whatever they're who mm-hmm. I got picked to stay with. So yeah, 10 kids all between the ages of like six weeks and 17. So it was just like one right after the other. Wasn't that an 80s Heather Lingenkamp TV sitcom? Ten of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like Lindsay like, had a guest spot on that and just now told us. I kind of <laughs> feel like, yeah, it felt like I had a guest spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's, yeah. I'm sure for like the fourth kid, they just felt like, do they even know who I am? So, I don't know. Nice, like, seriously, nicest family, though. All the kids are awesome. Huh? But yeah, some people, some people want it. Some people can do mm-hmm. it, so... I think that's a good time to bring us to our final thoughts and popcorn ratings. Ron, let's kick it off with you. When I first started to rewatch the movie, I felt a little concern about rewatching something that I liked as a kid, thinking it wouldn't hold up. And the beginning of it, at least for me, was a little rough. But by the time we get to the stuff that I really remembered, all the stuff with the baseball scenes the uh the pool the run through the the run through the county fair uh the founders day the baseball the july 4th baseball game we've got the stuff i remembered it really started to pull back together for me so i'm going to give the sandlot a good solid medium popcorn it it holds up much better than i expected it, it it would have and i still got quite a bit of amusement out of some of the jokes and as jay talked about the the emotionally impactful stuff and the stuff with uh, Smalls and his uh, stepfather all kind of worked a little bit better for me now than they did when I was age appropriate for this movie. So I'm going to stick with a medium popcorn. Great. Jay? As the newbie on this, I didn't know what to expect other than this had been built up as this thing that, you know, like I, Brian, we our Brian from Filmstrip still can't believe I had never seen this. Like he and I were talking about it and I going into it, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm really just going to take this for what it is. And so I just turned this on, um, on a you know early morning and I'm just sitting on my couch and I got my phone out to make a few notes. And like I told y'all about 15 minutes into it, I realized I had put my phone down and I was just watching it. And I just got engrossed in the thing. And, you know, it's not this perfect piece of cinema by any means, but it doesn't set out to be. This movie is a sweet, fun movie that's supposed to be a good break and it's supposed to be nostalgic for you. And sometimes nowadays I feel like I'm a little cynical and jaded toward nostalgia because I feel like it's been shoved down our throats by everything, you know, in culture these days. But a movie like this that was before we started doing that all the time. And the fact that it still works, you know, 30 years later is a testament to one, how well it was put together, how well it was directed and how well it was cast and, and pulled off by the actors and everybody involved. So it's a very sweet, very fun movie. Is it one I'm going to go back and revisit again? I don't know. I kind of feel like I this the one time watching it. I feel like I just sort of had this 
sweet, warm memory of it. I don't know that I want to do it again. I just want to watch clips of it and the best parts, you know, here and there because it was so much fun. But I would definitely, if you're like me and you'd never seen it for some reason, by all means, you know, go watch it because it is a fun thing and it's a it's a real breeze to get through too. So I'm going to give it a a good large popcorn. I don't think it's like perfect or anything again, but it's a lot of fun and I certainly enjoyed it. And I'm glad I, I finally can check it off the bucket list that I watched it. Awesome. Well, that leaves just me and I am going to, without shame, say nothing but good things about this movie that has transcended space and time for me. I loved it when I was in third, fourth grade. I loved it through middle school, high school, college, young adulthood, and still love it now. And all for different reasons. I think it morphs. It has for me as someone who had the privilege of watching it really when it first came out. And I just, there's really nothing about it that I don't like. I have zero criticisms and I respect anyone who has criticisms. That's totally fine. But for me, this movie is, has always been. And I think I can confidently say will always be my extra large popcorn. So that's what I'm going to give. That's what I'm going to give it. I think that might be one of the first. No, it might not be the first on this show for me, but I don't give out many. <laughs> Sandlot's the standard. Yeah, you tend to be tough. So now we know what, what room we have to make uh, for, for you to get, get the extra large popcorn out. There are a few. There are a few. But Sandlot, and again, I think it's one of those things, right? You grow up with it. It was your favorite movie then, and it holds up now. So got to give it to it. Got to give it to the Sandlot. All right. Well, I think that takes us to the end, folks. Thank you for listening. You can follow the show's social media at FilmStripPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There you will find announcements about upcoming shows and a link to our letterbox page, which contains our entire list of reviews. Go to filmstrippodcast.com to link to our Anchor FM distribution site where you can find your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. And please share the show. And if you can, leave us a positive review as it helps other people find the podcast. For Jay and Ron, I'm Lindsay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.